Hi, my name is Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. I welcome you to the program. I'm happy that you're here, and I am happy to be here with you. We are heard live on the True Talk Radio Network. We are also heard uh, live-streamed on Facebook, on Periscope, and on YouTube. You could feel free to call in. The number is to call one 669 1292 that's one 669 1292 That's the number to call to get in on the conversation on this live broadcast here on the Howie Silberger Show. I'm not a virtue signaler, nor am I overly sensitive to the feelings of people who feel they must jump on every bandwagon to prove their worth in society. I don't believe in white guilt or original white sin, that must be apologized for to the nearest black person. I don't believe in holding 21st century people responsible for the crimes of 18th and 19th century people. And I definitely don't believe in supporting organizations that are public and active in promoting the destruction of my ancestral homeland. I don't support Black Lives Matters, an organization that promotes these principles, and many more, by the way, that are pretty radical, that I haven't mentioned. But, but I'll include some of them. The concept of white privilege... The concept of violence, the concept of rioting and defunding police and creating armed militias and anarchy. Now, I've taken a lot of heat this week by well-intentioned but misguided millennials who have been raised to believe in social justice. We are all in this together, they tell me. Black oppression is Jewish oppression, they say. As I patiently, and you know, near the end of the week, a little less patiently, explained that one could oppose police brutality and stand against discrimination and racism without resorting to supporting racial, violent, racist organizations. One doesn't have to burn down buildings and beat up old people in the streets to take a positive and strong stance against injustice. And one doesn't have to denigrate another race to promote theirs. By doing that, they are essentially exhibiting the exact same behavior that they claim to abhor. Now, I'm willing to listen to an intelligent debate on systemic racism in the police. I'm willing to listen to a debate which would have to include statistics that make sense. Because the ones I've seen upon further scrutiny, as, as I look at them and I read through the statistics, I go to the source material, which I encourage everybody to do. Go to the source material and look at it. They don't show that there's a systemic problem. I would love to have a discussion on police brutality, because I think that is the core uh, of the problem. Uh, I would love to, I'd love to have a discussion on, on, on why this brutality is happening. I'd love to see statistics on recorded brutality based on race, and see if one race is more targeted than another. I'd love to see socioeconomic information of the neighborhoods that the majority of the brutality happened in, and then compare the numbers to neighborhoods where brutality happened much less. Is it a police problem? Is it a culture problem? Is it an economic problem? Is it a racism problem? It's hard to tell based on the skewed statistics being thrown around to push a political agenda. Let me be clear. Let me be extremely, extremely, extremely clear. Lest somebody think differently. What happened to George Floyd is reprehensible. There is no excuse to put a knee in somebody's neck after they've been subdued. There is no excuse to continue to hold the knee there while the person begs for air. There is no excuse, period. 
The police officers involved in the Floyd incident have been arrested and hopefully they will be persecuted to the full extent of the law. And I said persecuted, I meant prosecuted. I would oppose this kind of behavior from the police whether the suspect that they were dealing with was white, black, green, purple, or orange. Simply because it's wrong. This kind of abuse of power is unacceptable and must be universally condemned unequivocally by every segment of society. Police are not taskmasters and do not have the right to do as they please and we in society are not their slaves. Now many have posted, uh, many, many people, at least on my Facebook uh, feed and a lot of the other Facebook feeds I've seen, have posted George Floyd's arrest record and his autopsy report to suggest that because he has a criminal record and apparently had some drugs in his system, the police were justified in their force. The sediment is ludicrous. The video clearly shows Mr. Floyd not resisting arrest, not resisting the officers, not fighting, being cooperative and being murdered. To that, there is no debate. Was George Floyd a saint? No. Do police look at your record and make a decision on how to treat you based on it? Definitely. But at the end of the day, however real justice is taking a... At the end of the day, real justice is taking a culprit into custody and letting the courts deal with him. Not the police being the judge, the jury, and the executioner on a street corner. Does racism exist in every level of society? 100%. Can we do something to counter it? Yes. There are multiple things we can do. We can educate our children about the dangers of judging people based on things they can't control. Skin color, we should teach them, is irrelevant. People are born with it and can't change it. We shouldn't form uh, an opinion based on people's skin color. We should form an opinion of people based on their morality, their kindness, their evilness. Their actions. We have to eliminate race divisions in society. While white and black supremacists continue to attempt to start a race war, Antifa, the KKK, and groups like it rely on the Turner Diaries and its map to dividing races, the black supremacists rely on groups like Black Lives Matters and the Nation of Islam to continue to sow racial disharmony in society. One has to have the courage to stand up to these groups and demand that society reject them wholly and encourage governments to rid them from society. We must eliminate race baiters like David Duke and Al Sharpton, who have made careers out of stirring up the races to battle each other. Al Sharpton, single-handedly, has started more race wars than anyone else in society today. David Duke has normalized hate-based talk. These people, and people like them, must be removed from society and muzzled. Free speech, and I believe in free speech, should be limited to speech that does not cause riots or hatred towards other people. Universities should be held accountable for what, what is taught on their campuses. Hatred must be removed from the classroom, tenured or not. Neighborhoods that have been held back from growing economically by their leadership, who have grown rich by subjugating their own people, must be encouraged to grow. Economic stimulus, educational programs, infrastructure upgrades give people hope. Give them reason to work hard, and it doesn't take long to change an attitude in a neighborhood. Retrain police forces 
and change laws so that evil people and criminals are off the street. Don't allow the police to turn a blind eye to wrongdoings. Every criminal, every mobster, everyone causing trouble and holding back neighborhood development should be removed and dealt with. It's only by taking action that will help people on the ground that things will change. It's great to spend a couple of days or weeks screaming slogans until the news media moves on to the next hot topic and discards this one like yesterday's trash. Making grand gestures, posting black squares, donating a few hundred dollars to what you consider is a worthy cause, isn't really accomplishing anything except making you feel a little better, making you feel like you did something. If you want to make a difference, be part of the change. Run for office. Lobby your politicians. Continue civil disobedience even after the cameras move on to the next shiny object. Now, don't get me wrong. Change will happen. Things have changed over, over, over the course of many years already, and change will continue to happen. But it won't happen immediately. There is no instant gratification. I know the millennial generation and generations after that are, 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 are begging for instant gratification. There is no instant gratification. Change will happen with a lot of hard work, a ton of sacrifice, and much rejection. But the end result will be beautiful. And, maybe, your children will have a society that you can be proud of. But you you got to really make an effort. you got to put the effort in. It's great. Keep, keep, keep protesting. Keep being there on the street. I have no objection to peaceful protests. I have objection to riots. I have objection to destroying people's properties. But I know the majority of protesters that were out there did not commit those kind of actions. It was the minority that did. Keep protesting. Civil disobedience. I'm a big fan of civil disobedience. I have absolutely no issue with civil disobedience. But at the same time, realize that not everybody is responsible for the sins of past people. That judging somebody by, based on their skin color, whether you're black, you're white, you're red, you're green, is wrong. Telling white people they must get on their knees and apologize to black people for slavery 270 years ago, 300 years ago, is wrong. Telling white people you have original sin and you have to be ashamed of being white is wrong. The same way it's wrong to tell black people that you're, you're black and there's something wrong with you, it's extremely racist to tell white people you're white and there's something wrong with you. Now, I know a lot of my liberal friends will disagree with me. In fact, uh, some of them, some of them have said, you know, Howie, you're anti-racist, but, but it's not enough. It's not enough to be anti-racist. And I agree with them. It's not enough to be anti-racist. You've got to get out there and do something. You've you got to go out there and, and take some action. And, and the best action to take, if you really want to, to, to ensure that change happens, and change happens today, tomorrow, and for the long term, get involved in politics. Change it from the inside. You can't change it from the outside. It has to be changed from the inside. If you don't get involved in politics and you don't change it from the inside, then by Jove, it's never, ever, ever going to change. So run for office. Be part of the system. Use the system to change the system. It's the only way it's going to happen. These rallies, they'll happen. These riots, these rallies, these protests, they'll happen. And they'll happen today, and they'll happen tomorrow, they happen for the last week, and they'll happen another week, and then, then they'll peter off. People will get busy with other things, and, and, and things will peter off. And then this whole issue will be pushed to the back burner again until the next, uh, the next case of police brutality against somebody, and then it'll be start up again. Another thing I wanted to say, and this is, uh, 
this is this is genuine. I, I'm talking from my heart. You can't fight brutality with brutality. When demonstrations against police brutality turn into violent demonstrations, you're defeating your own goal. The leaders of these demonstrations have to ensure that people who are, who, are, who are protesting, people who are out there and taking part in these demonstrations, remain peaceful. And they have to be quick to stand up and condemn any violence that happens at their protests. Failing to do that, they are actually accepting this violence and they're condoning the violence. And by doing that, what they are doing, what they are saying is that violence is the solution. And violence isn't the solution. Real change comes when people get when good people get involved and insist from the inside that bad people get eliminated. That's when real change happens. Otherwise, it's just band-aid solutions. You could protest the uh, the you know, it's be it's an election year. The the politicians will get a little scared. You'll protest, and then suddenly, after after you know a couple of band-aid uh, band-aid um, so a couple of band-aid uh, acts that they'll pass, a couple of people will get fired. They'll make a lot of noise, and then suddenly, boom, the whole thing disappears. We've seen it before. So you want this to work, and you want this to be, uh, to be productive, and you want this to, to, to actually mean something? Don't give up. Get involved. one 669 1292 is the number to call. one 669 1292 that's the number to call to get on the, on the show, to, to be part of the Howie Silberger Show. one 669 1292 Feel free to call in. Uh, if you're watching on, on Facebook or on, uh, or on uh, Twitter or on uh, YouTube, you could type a message into the message boxes and I will, uh, I will be able to see your messages and I'll respond to them. But I much prefer to talk to you. If you're a millennial, I want to talk to you. Uh, many people have told me uh, over the course of the last couple of days how being anti-racist isn't enough. And I, I want to I understand that. How is being anti-racist not enough? I, I want to understand that. Now, in my, in my opinion, as I just expressed, you're, I agreed with you. Being anti-racist is not enough. You should be involved and you should, uh, should get involved in politics and everything else and try to, and try to solve this problem uh, politically and through, uh, and through, and through um, social action, but through personal action uh, in political parties and, um, and through personal action. You know, it takes time, but this is what you should be doing. You should be getting involved and trying to change things from the inside because changing things from the outside is extremely difficult. Changing things from the inside is much, much it's much less difficult. You'll, you'll, you'll hit resistance. There's always resistance. But it's much less difficult to change things from the inside than it is from the outside. But when you tell me, and, and I don't think that my definition of um, being anti-racist is not enough, is the same thing that you're telling me. And, and I want to hear what you have to say. How could you be less anti-racist? How could you be do, what else am I supposed to be doing aside from being anti-racist? If I teach my children, and I, and I encourage everyone to teach their children not to hate, to teach people, because well, let's be honest, racism is a taught thing. It, it's not inherent, it's taught. So if I'm teaching my children not to, uh, not to hate, and you're teaching your children, and everybody's teaching their children not to judge other people based on the color of their skin, or, or the ethnicity, or, or, or anything, to judge them based on their character and based on their moral values, what more, what more should I be doing? Being anti-racist, I'm told, is not enough. one 669 1292 Call me and tell me, what else should I be doing? 
I, I, when I had a problem and I wanted to solve the problem, I got involved in politics and I went and I tried to solve the problem. I ran for office twice. And I ran for office twice because there were issues that I, was, uh, that I wanted to deal with that I felt weren't being dealt with. And I decided that, that the best way for me to deal with these issues or at least to get these issues on the table was to run for office. So I ran for office twice. I put myself forward and I said, I'm running for office. And these are the issues I'm running on and this is the reason I'm running. It's because I want to change this. And I felt, and I still feel today, that that is the best way to initiate change. Many of the things that were on my platform, I, I didn't win either of the elections. Many of the things that were on my platform uh, were, were eventually adopted by some of the people who did win the election. And a lot of the change that I wanted to initiate were, was initiated by other people who had won the election. So I lost the election, but other people took up the cause and went and, and, and moved forward with, with my cause. Which made me happy. It, you see, you see, that's the whole thing with me. And I don't know if that's, that, that applies to you or everybody else, but the thing with me is, it's not about ego. I don't care. Personally, it doesn't, you know, I don't care if I won or lost. It was the issue that mattered to me. I wasn't there for myself. I was there for the issue. I, w- I was running for the issue. And that's what you should do. You want to fight racism. You want to fight systemic racism. If you believe systemic racism actually exists and you want to fight it, get involved. It's the only way to do it. You could fight on Facebook all you want. You could argue. You could scream. You could yell. You could unfriend as many people as you want. That is not going to change a thing. You could march through the streets, and eventually the police are going to decide you're a nuisance. The government's going to decide you're a nuisance. They're going to stop the, pro- the protests, and, and that'll be it. And nothing will change. Uh, to, me, to me, it's crystal clear and quite simple. Now, I know to a lot of people it's not that crystal clear, it's not that simple, but to me it's crystal clear and simple. And, and it's hard. And I didn't say it's easy. And I know, I know, I'm going to get messages and people are going to call me or, or, or tell me later on that, Howie, uh, you know, it's not as easy as you make it out to be. Getting involved in, uh, in, in politics is not as easy as it, as it sounds. And, and you're 100% right. You're 100% right. It's not easy. Nothing that is worth anything in life is easy. Anything that you want in life that is worth anything, you must work for. You know, pretending that things are easy is, uh, is a fallacy. It, it's, it's, it's not true. You want something, you got to work hard for it. And working hard for it means that you're putting a personal sacrifice into it, that you're putting a personal touch into it, that you are working to ensure that what you want gets done. Failing to do that, you're just spinning your wheels. And, and who wants to spin their wheels? That's, that's, that's kind of ridiculous to spin your wheels and to put all the effort into, 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 into this and put all your effort into, uh, into, um, into protesting and into, into, uh, into organizing and then to have it all fall apart. That doesn't make any sense. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. Now there are there are people who have told me, "Hey Howie, Howie, I want to uh, I want to ask you a question." I said, "Yeah." They said, "What do you think about George uh, Floyd's uh, criminal record? Do you think that that negates the? Um, do you think that that negates the entire uh, the entire argument that the police killed the man?" I was actually asked this question this week, 
And I, I didn't even hesitate to say, absolutely not. You can't, you can't, you can't mesh one and the other. The man was a criminal. There's no question about it. The man was in the jail more than he was out of jail for the duration of his life. The man was high on fentanyl, apparently. According to his autopsy, he was high on fentanyl when this whole thing happened. But if you watch the video, and the video does not lie, if you watch the video and you see what happened to the man, the police were out of line. 110%. There's not even a debate that the police were out of line. It is inexcusable for a police officer to put his foot on the neck of a, of a captive and hold on to that person and, and keep his foot on that person's neck for nine and a half minutes. Inexcusable. It's inexcusable for a police officer to have his, neck, his, his foot on somebody's neck or his knee on somebody's neck and the person to be begging for their lives. I can't breathe. And to, for him to not remove his foot. Inexcusable. And when the person starts complaining, I cannot breathe. And the police officer keeps the pressure on his back and neck. That is brutality. It's the definition of brutality. I, I can't think of a more clear definition of police brutality. And when that person dies, then that brutality becomes murder. In my mind, that is murder. We watched the man get murdered. And that's inexcusable. And the rage and the anger felt by the community, by the black community, is 100% justified. And the angry protests, 100% justified. But I'm not responsible. And Mary and Jane and Max and Frank and Pete are not responsible. The person responsible for this is the person who had his foot or his knee on the man's neck. That is the man who's responsible for this murder. I'm not responsible. I'm outraged. The same way everybody else is outraged, I am outraged by it, but I'm not responsible for it. I didn't commit the murder, and neither did any of the business owners whose buildings were burned down, neither did any of the people who were beaten up, neither did any of the police officers who were there to protect the protesters and property who were shot, stabbed, beaten. They weren't responsible for that either. And on top of all that, One police officer, or three police officers, who committed this crime, and let's not not mince words, this was a crime, they do not represent every police officer everywhere. Most police officers are not brutal. Most peace officers are there to protect and serve. Most. Can't say all. Most. There's good and bad in everything. But to blame everybody, to put blanket blame on white people, to put blanket blame on, on, on all police officers, is also inherently wrong. And two wrongs don't make a right. One does not justify the other. I know, I, I, I know. 
Stockwell Day got fired for saying something similar to this. I know. I know. There was a sportscaster that got fired for saying something similar to this. I know, I know the story of Drew Brees. I, I've been following what Drew Brees has done. Where he said that you know, we, have to, we have to support the flag and we, I object to people... This, this, um, I object to people dissing the flag of the United States. And then he had to backtrack. I, I, I've been following all this. I know. But you know, sometimes you have to tell the truth. Sometimes you have to speak honestly. And let the cards fall wherever they fall. You have to speak honestly. How could we speak dishonestly? I, I would be disingenuine if I got up here, uh, got onto here, and used my platform to tell you that, uh, that I felt guilty being a white person. Not that I'm a white person. I'm Jewish, so I'm not white. But that I felt guilty somehow of being perceived as a white person. That I felt that white people were guilty of, uh, of, 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 of anything. Because saying that white people are guilty of anything is just as racist as saying black people are guilty of everything. What is the difference? If you judge anybody by the color of their skin, then you're just the same racist that the other guy is. And that's not progressive thinking. I have a progressive friend of mine who says, Howie, I disagree with you on this. We had this argument earlier in the week. And he said, Howie, I disagree with you on this. The whites have to pay reparations. The whites have to. And I said, why? I said, what are you talking about? When you start categorizing whites and blacks, then you're as racist as everyone else. If you're saying an entire group of people are guilty because of their skin color, then you're just as racist as the people who are, who are saying that the entire, another entire group of people are guilty because of their skin color. There's no difference between you and you. You are acting exactly like the KKK. There, there's no difference. And that's what drives me crazy, is that people who, you know, they're well-intentioned. Don't get me wrong. Most of the people I speak to are well-intentioned. They want change. They want, they want change. They want, uh, they want, they want, to, they want uh, justice for everyone. But you can't give justice to, to one group of people by taking justice away from the other group of people. You can't end discrimination against one group by discriminating against another group. You can't say, I oppose racism while you expose racism against somebody else. That is hypocrisy. And when you do that, what you are doing is you are undermining your cause. You are, you are, you are, you, you become to a zero balance here, right? So I, I oppose racism by being a racist doesn't make sense. It doesn't help your cause. It doesn't help sell your cause to the masses. It doesn't help alleviate the pain and the suffering people who suffer from racism suffer from. And, and people who tell me that I, you know, Howie, how could you speak about this? You, what do you know about uh, what do you know about racism? You've never lived the life of a black person. No, I've lived the life of a Jewish person. And I'll be honest with you. And once again, I'm always honest with you, but I'll be I'll be blunt with you. Living the life of an Orthodox Jew is not easy anywhere in the world. People look at me and they judge me based on this piece of cloth on my head. They judge me based on that. When I started at Concordia University, I went back as an adult. I, I had finished a couple of degrees uh, as, as a teenager, well, my early 20s, late teens, early 20s. Then I went back as an adult. The first week I was back at Concordia in 2016, 
a man walked up to me, a young man walked up to me and said to me, take that kippah off your head. You're in an Arabic university. He didn't know who I was. He didn't know if I was a professor. I mean, I'm old enough to be a professor. He didn't know if I was a professor, if I was a student. He didn't know who I was. And he didn't care. It was that piece of cloth on my head that bothered him. And that's why he came up to me. Later on, after the Quebec government in, here in Quebec passed, the, uh, passed that Bill 21 and said that I can't work in public schools as a teacher because I wear this piece of cloth on my head, that if I want to work, I have to, I have to either choose between my profession or my religion. I can't have both. Even if I don't expose religion in the classroom, it doesn't matter. Just the fact that I'm a religious Jew is a problem. Same kind of discrimination. We're talking about the same thing. I could empathize with the black community who get picked on all the time. I've been there. I've been picked on all the time. I understand. I also understand that if I try to turn the tables and I start picking on another community, I might feel better about myself Hey, I am bullying somebody else. That's what bullies happen, by the way. They, they feel bad about themselves, so they bully other people. And once they feel superior over somebody else, they start feeling good about themselves. So I could do that. Or I could work to change the system. At Concordia, I wanted to work to change the system. I really did. But our Jewish leadership is weak. And the Jewish leadership that, 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 that exists at Concordia, the Hillels and the Chabads at Concordia, are weak. And they're afraid. And I was begged by both Hillel and Chabad not to pursue it. Because if I did, it might piss off the Jew haters. And they might come after more Jews. And so maybe I should just shut my mouth. And I was begged. They called me. They begged me. They said, what are your intentions? Are you planning on, uh, on filing a complaint? What are you planning on doing? And I didn't. Not because I was afraid to file a complaint, which I wasn't, and filing the complaint probably would have led to real change because I could have pushed for real change at that point. I would have had power to push for real change. I didn't because I didn't want to fight with my own community. Because I work in the community, and fighting in the community would have not been beneficial to me. So I, I, I stepped back, and I didn't. I've been held accountable for that, by the way. La Presse ran, a, ran an article asking why I didn't, why I didn't uh, file a complaint. I've been held really accountable for that. And I don't care. It doesn't bother me. I made the decision, and I live by my decisions. I was wrong. And I'm not afraid to admit I was wrong. Four years ago, I should have filed a complaint. Four years ago, I should have pursued it. Four years ago, I should not have taken the word of the Chabad rabbi and the Dina students who said that they will be working together to, to fight this kind of discrimination on campus. I should not have taken their words, but I took their words. I believed them. And they lied to me. That's fine. Life happens. You move on. Now, if it happens all the time, that's, 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 that's fightable. And that's fightable. So what did I decide to do? How am I fighting... How, 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 how would I have changed that system? I was seriously considering running for, for, uh, for, for council there. 
running for uh, the union, the student union. I figured if I was in the student union, I'd be able to, to change things from the inside. Because that's the way things change. That's the way things work. You have a system. The system's resistance from outside. The system's resistant to outsiders coming to try to change things. So, you want to change things, you got to do it from the inside. I didn't do it. Do I regret it? Yes, I do. Because maybe, maybe I could have pushed for real change at Concordia. So, I could, I could relate to this whole situation. It's not exactly the same. I, I know. But, but it's relatable. And now, I, I, I feel comfortable that I could give advice. And I could, I, could, I could say that if you want to change things and you want things to really change in society and you want things to really move forward, you've got to do it from the inside. You've got to push from the inside out. You can't push from the outside in. There's too much resistance going from the outside in. You've got to go from the inside out. And if you do that... You'll be very surprised how quickly things will change. You'll be extremely surprised. Remember uh, years ago, I, um, I started an organization, a, a, a Jewish organization here in Montreal. And the organization I started was called Save All Jews Everywhere. Now, I know there have been a few people over the years who have tried to take credit for starting that organization. But the truth is that I started it with Jason Lang who now lives in Israel, he's a poet and an actor in Israel, we started it together. And we started it because we opposed the building of a shopping mall at the Auschwitz death camp. They were going to build a shopping mall just across the street from the Auschwitz death camp. And we opposed it. And Jason and I decided, we were at bar University in Israel, it was 1992, we decided that we weren't going to sit quietly. That this was something that, that, that we really felt strongly about, there should not be a shopping mall there, this was hallowed ground, and that we were going to oppose this. So what do we do? We organized a rally in front of the, of the Polish embassy in, in Tel Aviv. And we put up flyers, we, we, we drew up flyers, we printed them, we, we, we had them professionally printed, and we went and we put up flyers all over campus and all over, uh, all over Ramat Gan, where, uh, where Barilan University is, is located. And we said, we're having a rally at 6.30 at night in front of the, uh, the, the Polish consulate in uh, Tel Aviv. And we gave the address. We showed up with a loudspeaker and a microphone. And nobody else came. It was me and Jason. And we stood there. We were save all Jews everywhere. We stood there. And we started screaming into the microphone. And we started protesting. We didn't care if there were more people. We wanted to initiate change. This was what we wanted to do. This is what we went to do. So we went out and we started protesting. Two of us standing there, speaking into the microphone, giving the speeches we prepared for the hundreds of people we assumed would show up to this thing, who didn't show up. We gave the speeches anyway. And as we were wrapping it up, we were there for about an hour, as we were wrapping it up, two men approached us. One man says to me, and uh, he spoke in a broken English. He said, uh, are you, um, so you are, uh, you are protesting what? And I explained to him what we're protesting. And he says to me, okay. He says, I am security for the consulate, for the Polish consulate here in Tel Aviv. The ambassador to, uh, to Israel sent me down to come and speak to you gentlemen. 
He was very impressed, he says, that two of you were standing out here for an hour, screaming at the consulate. And there were more people. There was a big rally here, he says, maybe three hours ago. And there were hundreds of people here. And that was impressive, but it was more impressive that you two showed up after the rally. And you stood here and you were screaming for an hour. He would like to meet with you. I said, all right. We were escorted up into the consulate, to the Polish consulate. And we met with the Polish ambassador to Israel. And we sat down and had a half-hour conversation with the Polish ambassador to Israel about our concerns. And he took notes. And now he was probably paying us lip service. And I, I'm, I have no doubt that it, you know, our conversation started and ended right there in that consulate, in that uh, embassy. No, no doubt about no, no, No question in my mind that that's what happened. But he took notes and he took us seriously. And he promised us that he would pass on the information to the, to the president of Poland. And he thanked us for our concern and we left. Now, did we accomplish anything? Probably not. Did we feel like we accomplished anything? Absolutely not. But we were trying to change things. And by getting into the, con- into the embassy, that at least gave us an edge over over everyone else, where we were able to talk to the people, the decision makers. We were able to talk to the people who could actually initiate the change. Now, whether they listen to us or not is irrelevant. The fact is, we got our message across. And, and that's the point. you got to get your message across, and then you got to initiate the change, and if the change doesn't happen, then you got to get involved, and you got to make it happen. you got to work, you got to push, you gotta, you got you to fight to make it happen. Nothing happens on its own. We uh, brought Save All Jews Everywhere to Montreal. After we finished at Barilan, we came back to Montreal. We, we brought Save All Jews Everywhere to Montreal. We set it up here in Montreal. And we started protesting for Jonathan Pollard. And we started collecting signatures. That was our thing. We were collecting signatures on a petition that we were going to present to the American government, demanding the release of our Jewish national hero, Jonathan Pollard. This is what we were doing. And we spent months demanding the release of Jonathan Pollard, getting signature after signature. At the end of the day, we got 10,000 signatures. There were two of us working on this. We, we managed to, to, to collect 10,000 signatures. And we presented these 10,000 signatures to Jonathan Pollard's sister. She had come to speak in Montreal at one of the synagogues. We presented it to her sister. And she looked down at this huge binder. It was like one of those really thick binders, like, like, like a real big one. And she looked down at this binder and all these sheets of paper, all signed. And she said to me, I've been around the world, she said, and nobody's worked as hard as you guys have worked to get this many signatures. And I looked at her and I, 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 I didn't even know what to say. It's the effort you put into it. That initiates change. Now, if it is systemic racism, if that actually exists, I'm not so sure that exists, but if it does actually exist, and there is a systemic problem of racism in society, then there's only two ways to change it. You have to be, you have to be vigilant, and you have to call people out for being racist, as I called out Al Sharpton and Louis Farrakhan. And David Duke. You have to call people out for being racist. Another thing you have to do, and it's, 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 it's almost self-evident, you have to teach the next generation not to be racist. 
racism is taught. It is not. Uh, it, it is not. It is not inherited. It's a taught trait. So you got to teach the next generation not to be racist. And the third thing you got to do is that you got to ensure that your institutions and the training of your police officers and 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 the and the institutions that are being run and the citywide institutions, and statewide institutions, and province-wide institutions that are being run are don't have a racism problem. That they don't discriminate against people based on their skin color. And that goes either way. So if you have a, an affirmative action, an affirmative action um, program running in your company where you hire black people over white people to try to even it out, that's, that's racism. Because you're judging, because you, you, you're giving somebody an unfair advantage or, or, or an advantage over somebody else based on their skin color. That's wrong. And if you're not hiring a black person because you feel a white person is, is, is more competent just because they're white and you're uncomfortable around black people, that's racism too. We've got to look inside ourselves and see what are we doing? Are, how are we behaving? And behavior modification is part of it. How are we behaving? Are we doing anything to encourage this kind of behavior? Are we doing anything to set the example for younger people? to follow the kind of behavior that we abhor. Now, maybe some of us don't abhor that. Maybe some, of, maybe some people listening don't abhor racism and feel that racism is somehow justified. I've always been abhorred of racism. I've always been horrified of racism. When I was younger, I was involved in, uh, in a lot of different things, and um, I had a bunch of friends. Once again, I was in Israel, and I had a bunch of friends. And I used to meet up with these friends. We met in Jerusalem. And we, we hung out in Jerusalem together. One day, uh, I was 17 years old. And one day, these other 17-year-olds came, came and they sat down at the table with me in a restaurant and we were talking. And two of them said to me, you'll never believe what we did last night. I said, what'd you do last night? I wasn't with you. I don't know what you did. Tell me what you did. One of them said, we desecrated. We, we destroyed. He didn't say desecrated. He said, we destroyed a mosque in, in a little town close to Jerusalem. I said, what do you mean? He said, we went in there and we destroyed the place. We threw the Korans on the floor. We knocked the benches over. We, we, we wrecked the place. We ripped up the carpets. We wrecked the place. They're not going to be able to pray there for a while. I was horrified. I looked at them. I said to them, why would you do that? I said, you might oppose politically where some people in Israel stand politically, uh, you know, non-Jewish people in Israel, the Arabs, you might oppose where they stand politically when it comes to the state of Israel, when it comes to terrorism, when it comes to whatever. But what gives you the right to go into a religious institution and destroy it? I was 17 years old at the time. I'll never forget this because it horrified me that these people would go and do something like that. And they said to me, Howie, you don't understand. This is sending a message. I said, what message is it sending? That you hate their religion? That you hate them because of religion? That's racism. If you're a political argument, if you have a political argument against them, that's one thing. But attacking their religious institutions? That's racism. That's, 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 that, 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 is, that is completely unacceptable. They got mad at me. These guys got mad at me. They said, well, Howie, you just don't understand. 
much like the millennials just told me, oh, you just don't understand. Well, I understand. I understand very, very well. I, I'm very clear on understanding. When you attack people based on their religion, based on their race, based on their color, based on their gender, then you are being discriminatory. You're being a hateful person. I understand that completely. They didn't get it. And unfortunately, it was very unfortunate, just three months later, uh, I stopped hanging out with them a little bit because uh, this, was, uh, this just really bothered me. Just a couple of months later, the same boys that, that, that hung up with me, that sat at the table with me, that told me that they, they, they destroyed a mosque, these same boys climbed onto the roof of the Arab market, unhinged a grenade and threw it down into the innocent people walking through the market, killing one storekeeper. These same boys who didn't understand that destroying a mosque was wrong, now went and became murderers. They were arrested. They went to jail. Thank God. They were caught. They went to jail. But that's where it leads. That's where it starts. And they didn't come up with the idea that, uh, that, that, that destroying a mosque was somehow somehow okay. That wasn't their initial idea. That wasn't their original idea. They didn't come up with the idea that, that Arabs are inhumane, so you could treat them inhumanely. You could throw a bomb into their, into, their, into, their, um, into their market and kill people. They didn't come up with that by themselves. They were taught that by their parents. They were taught that by the people they hung up with, by society that they hung up with. And that's how racism spreads. That's how it starts. That's how it spreads. I've been around it a lot. I've experienced a lot of it. On both sides of the field. I've seen people who are extremely racist. I've been friends with people who are extremely racist. And I've been on the receiving end of extreme racism. I've been on both sides of the field. I understand it. And I abhor it. It bothers me. People should be good people. There should be, people should be kind to each other. We're all the same. There is no difference between me and you and the next guy. There's no difference at all. And if you think there's a difference between me and you and the next guy, well, then you better reevaluate who you are and the way you think. I, I'm actually proud of the people who go out and protest, uh, who are protesting right now in the streets right across the world. I'm proud that people are out there protesting. I wish my community had the, the guts to go out and protest the way these people are protesting when we're wronged. Just last week, this past week, a synagogue in Las Vegas, in Los Angeles, and a synagogue in Montreal were desecrated. You know, I just talked about a uh, mosque desecration. A synagogue was desecrated. In Los Angeles, the synagogue was broken into. Vile words were spray-painted on the walls. Prayer books were thrown on the floor. Windows were broken. In the synagogue of Montreal, prayer shawls were thrown into the toilet. Prayer books were thrown onto the floor. The place was wrecked. It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. 
The Jews should have been in the streets condemning this and protesting this. It's unacceptable. We should be standing together. Blacks, whites, Jews, Christians, everybody should be standing together to oppose systemic racism if it exists. Everybody should be standing together to oppose racism altogether. We should all be standing together. There shouldn't be divisions. And nobody has the right to tell you or me that we're not doing enough. Nobody has the right to tell you or me that we have to bow down to the feet of somebody and apologize for who we are and what we believe in. Nobody has that right. And nobody should be bowing down and apologizing. Nobody has the right to tell you and me to lick their boots. It's degrading. It's unacceptable. one 669 is the number to call. one 669 1292 Sheldon Eric Freed, my long-suffering producer, will be joining me after 8 o'clock. one 669 1292 It's degrading. It's unacceptable. It's not something that should be happening in a free society. And police killing should not be happening in a free society either. We should be, you know, police should be the, the police should be the people that we run to when we have a problem. Not the people we're afraid to go to because they're the problem. It's unacceptable. How do we fix the police? This was a question asked to me too. How do we fix the police? I can't become a cop. Most people won't become cops. You said you have to go to the inside, you have to do it from the inside out. How do you fix the police? The only way to fix the police is to hold them accountable. It's to hold the leadership accountable. All the police forces answer to the mayor of whatever city they're in. All the police forces answer to the police chief. You have to hold these people accountable for their rank and file. You have to hold these people accountable for what happens inside their units. The same way you have to hold universities and high schools responsible for how their teachers are teaching children, you have to hold the police responsible for how their police officers are policing neighborhoods. And if they're not doing it properly, and if there is a, if there is a discrepancy between what is moral and what is right and what they are doing, you have to have them removed. You have to insist on a moral code for police that is enforced, and that is followed. Failing to do that, then you are just, we're running into the same problem. Failing to do that, failing to hold people accountable for their actions, and individually accountable for their actions, and as a group, these organizations are groups, as a group responsible for the actions of the individual within the group, You have to hold the group responsible for the actions of the individual. They have to take action against the individual. They're not responsible for what the guy did. But they're responsible for taking action against the guy. So the Minneapolis Police Department fired the the officers immediately. That was good action. This is action taken against the people who who were wrong. And, And you have to commend the police department for taking such quick and swift action. Because that's what they were supposed to do. Take an action. Fire the people. Then arrest them, investigate and arrest them, which is what they did, which you have to give kudos to them. You know, you got to give credit where credit's due. 
you can't hold the whole police department responsible for, for the inequity of, of, of one officer or three officers. The whole police department, thousands of police or hundreds of police are not responsible for the actions of one cop. But if they protect that cop, if they stand behind the blue shield and protect the cop, they stand the blue line and protect the cop, then they're as responsible as he is. Uh, that's the way I see it. Now, you might disagree with me, and that's fine. Uh, you know, disagreements happen all the time. Uh, I see a lot of things on the show that a lot of people disagree with, and that's okay. I, I have no issue with that. And if you want to talk to me about it, you can feel free to call in, one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. I'll be more than happy to discuss it with any, anybody who wants to call in. I'll be more than happy to discuss anything with you. Regarding this topic tonight, anything you want to say. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to insult me if you, if you feel that's what you have to do. Call in and insult me. If you feel that I'm wrong in what I'm saying, call in and tell me so. I, I have no issue with that. Because the only way we can move forward is to have an honest discussion. The only way we can move forward is to, is to talk to each other. Is to understand points of view. And to work together to come to some kind of consensus where we could say that we agree that this is the course of action that must be taken. Because right now there's no consensus. <laughs> right now, right now there's a lot of anger. But once that anger subsides, and it will subside, and once the people who are out on the streets right now move on to the next cause and move on to their next, uh, next stage in life, if we care, we have to keep pushing to solve this problem. And that's all I'm saying. And that's all I've been saying for the last hour. We have to keep pushing to solve this problem, and we have to work together to do it. one 877 I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. We are heard live. Uh, well, now it's Sunday night. We're heard live on Sunday nights here on the True Talk Radio Network. You could feel free to call in. The numbers to call one 669 1292 TrueTalkRadio.com has, uh, has a whole lot of programming, a lot more than the Howie Silberger Show. And you could catch that programming uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, by downloading the True Talk Radio Network app off your favorite app store. So just go to your favorite app store and download the True Talk Radio Network app at your favorite app store. And uh, you, could, you could have uh, free, free, it's free to you. I mean, it costs me money, but it's free to you. Uh, True Talk Radio programming all week long. We have a whole lot of, uh, uh, of different shows that air on True Talk Radio. Go to truetalkradio.com, click on the schedule. And, uh, and you'll see we have a full slate of shows that air every day on True Talk Radio. Uh, most of it is live uh, and refreshed every day. So feel free to visit truetalkradio.com, download the app, True Talk Radio Network app uh, your, on your favorite app store, and, uh, and be part of the True Talk Radio experience. This is a live show, which means that uh, I invite you to call in. Numbers to call, one 669 1292 That's one 669 1292 Let me ask you the question. Do you believe that there is systemic racism in society? That, uh, that people in society, there's some kind of a conspiracy or some kind of a system in society that, um, that promotes this kind of racism, which leads up to, to acts of violence, such as the ones committed against George Floyd last, uh, last week? 
do you think that this is systemic or do you think that uh, that that there are as Stockwell Day said he got fired for saying it but as Stockwell as Stockwell Day said do you feel that maybe you know society itself isn't racist but there are racist people in society and society has to be able to expunge those racist people he got fired for saying that but what do you think 18776691292 uh i am um, I think, and I'll be honest with you. I think that, uh, that I don't. I don't. I don't agree that society is is uh, is racist in itself. But I do think that uh, that there's a lot of work to do, to to root out the racist people who are in society, and that we have to work to do that. Joining me now, from his studio all the way out there, uh, away from me, because we are socially distancing for the last five years, is Mr. <laughs> Sheldon Eric Freed. He is my long-suffering producer here on the Howie Silberger Show, and he joins me now right here on the program. Hello, Sheldon, and welcome to the program. Hi, Howie. Nice to be here. How are things? Uh, things are great. Thank you for joining me uh, through Google Hangouts. Uh, yeah, we've been using Google Hangouts for a long time, and, and now we're using the video aspect of it, too, so I can actually see you, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, excellent. And I was uh, watching you on YouTube. Ah, cool. Yeah. And then the feed was good. Everything was good. Everything was perfect. Amazing. Everything was perfect. That's... You came in. I was watching, listening to you for the last hours. I was having my supper. And uh, yeah, I agree with everything what you have to say, honestly. Um, it's very uh, odd that Sheldon agrees with me, by the way. No, like, it's with not everything that I have odd. to say. It's not odd. I, uh, you know what? And I was saying to you before that. Uh, what I really feel like very, very passionate about, like you, of what's been happening with the police all over the all over the the world, and especially in North America and especially in the United States. And I want to be absolutely sure and very clear of what I'm going to say to the point that not every police officer is violent, not every police officer is racist. There's always rotten apple, apples anywhere you go, in groups, religions, and everything else. Police that are actually doing their jobs and trying to maintain order and maintain the safety of the protesters that are peaceful, as well as to prevent the destruction of property, uh, my hat, you know, really my heart goes out to them because they have a very difficult job in the, in the best of times, never mind in the worst of times. And now, especially now, these four police officers that were indicted, that were charged, I mean, Derek Chauvin, who was the police officer who put the knee on George Floyd, and to me, never mind the fact he put the knee on uh, George Floyd, preventing him from breathing, but number one, George Floyd was in handcuffs. Yeah. Number two, there was a video that was circulating, a few videos that were circulating even before that principal video came out with Jer Derek Chauvin's knee on the back of the neck of George Floyd. George Floyd in, in, the, in this whole thing did not put up any resistance. George Floyd, as a matter of fact, before he was taken across the street. He was, he was actually pretty you, passive. He was very passive. They sat him down on a, be, uh, on a bench. He was talking. There was nobody that was raising, you know, raising any issues with George Floyd. They took him out of his car. They handcuffed him. He did not, he did not make any resistance at all. They put him on the bench. They took him across the street on the car. Now, those two police officers were fine. They were handling it properly. They restrained him. They put the cuffs on him. 
and 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 you know they did their job up to that point after he crossed the street and went under that went in that police car and Derek Chauvin appeared with the other police officer Tao that's when things started uh, that's when things started really getting out of line because then all of a sudden you see the video with Derek Chauvin putting the knee on the back of Floyd's neck now the thing is if the person was not cuffed, if the person was putting up a lot of resistance, they could have tasered him. They could have done other things restraining him, but not taking a knee, putting it on the back of the neck of a person that kept saying, I can't breathe. Please let me, you know, he was already restrained. He was already in handcuffs. Even if he wasn't putting up resistance or he was, the question is he was no longer there was not even a question that he was a threat to anybody in the police force. Whether or not he had a criminal record, that's immaterial because each case has to be decided on its own merit. Even if a person never broke the law, but he put, but let's say the police would take a person into custody, but a person would put a lot of resistance or threatening a police, police person or trying to attack a police, police officers. Even if the person didn't have a criminal record, they would have to restrain them. They would have no. They would have no choice but to apply a reasonable use of force without so much as depriving a person from basic oxygen. Bear in mind that when we saw this video, after Floyd passed out, after he kept saying that he couldn't breathe anymore, and then he passed out, and he went into, he was unconscious. The knee was still behind Floyd's neck. People kept saying to him, there were bystanders taking the video saying, he's, he's not saying anything. He's not breathing. Get off of him. His nose was bleeding. Get off of him. He can't breathe. Get off of him. They kept saying, they kept repeatedly. And they didn't, they did not uh, do any physical altercation with the police officers. There was at least two or three or four people that were there that witnessed the whole thing. The knee was still on the back of Floyd's neck. The guy was subdued. The guy was in handcuffs. The guy was passed out on a total of nine, just under nine minutes or just under 10 minutes. The knee was in the back of Floyd's neck. Whether or not he was white, whether or not he was black, whether or not he was Jewish, whether or not it didn't make a difference. The question is, the question is this was murder. This, what the police the, officer um, did. There, he, are, he, there are plenty of people now, Sheldon, who are trying to, to, to detract from the fact that the police murdered this man uh, by pointing out that he was a criminal. Um, the medical examiner of uh, Minnesota uh, released a... Um, released a, uh, a report on his death saying that he died of a heart attack, but the heart attack was predicated from the force that the police were implying onto his neck, onto his back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people are trying to use this to say that, you know, maybe, maybe it's not the police's fault. Look, there's no excuse for what happened there. I want to be, no. be, be completely clear. There is no excuse for what happens there. I condemn what the police did 150%. But I also condemn the rioters that went out to destroy other people's property. That I'm condemning Absolutely. 100% too. 
The peaceful no protesters. Now, majority of people who went out were peaceful protesters who were just going out there to express their outrage and try to uh, initiate some kind of a change. That I respect, and those people I respect. Mm. It's the people who went out there to loot and to destroy. Those people have to be condemned. They have to be condemned strenuously by everybody. But not everybody's Absolutely. willing to condemn them. That's the problem, Sheldon. Not well, everybody's would, willing I, to condemn I would, them. I would condemn them, condemn them without a question because you know what? That's not... That's not peaceful protesting. That's loot. That's looting. That's thuggery. That's this just taking an excuse and saying, "Okay, I'm mad what happened with George Floyd," but then they decided to use an excuse to loot a business that had nothing to do with anything. Well, it was a it's exploiting a, a, a situation. Order. It's exploiting a situation to 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 rob people. Basically, you're exactly. a thief. You're not a protester. You're a thief. I mean, you take a look at Montreal. They looted Steve's music store. What has Steve's music store had anything to do with George Floyd? What did the city of Montreal have to do with George Floyd for to have people going into a store and loot the store and destroy public pro- uh, and destroy private property, destroy a business, destroy a person that has a right to make a living? What right does somebody have to destroy based on what happened in the United States, based on what happened on anything? You don't just go in. Because again, two wrongs don't make a right. If mm-hmm. that, if they were trying to make a point uh, about police brutality and all this, I was completely negated because whatever point they were trying to make is completely erased, and it makes these people look like they're the thugs that obviously they did not care about George Floyd. They had their own hidden agenda, and that was to destroy, torch police cars, torch police headquarters, torch businesses. You know, Sheldon, uh, every year, every year I get on this show, and I'm, I'm, I know that you've been on the show with me quite a few years already. Every year we get on the show, um, around the weekend, this, this, this weekend here where they have the March Against Police Brutality, which is usually around this time of year. And, and that March Against Police Brutality usually turns into a brutal event where, where, where protesters are brutalizing other people. So wow. you, how, how do you oppose brutality? How do you oppose oppose violence and oppose uh, violence from the police when you are committing violence yourself. Well, that's it's, it. That, you you that's undermine exactly. your whole position. It's, 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 kind of, it's kind of crazy when you think about you it. You undermine the whole position, like you said, and also, like, again, you're, you're, you're completely negating. The people that are doing it are completely negating what they were supposed to be protesting about. Now, the thing is, I've seen videos, and I'm sure you must have seen it too. There was this horrific video in Buffalo. Now, if anybody didn't see it, I mean, I know some of our listeners out there have seen it. I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it several times. There was a 75-year-old person going up to a cop, not brandishing a weapon, not threatening a cop, not yelling at a cop, not raising their hands to show that there's going to be some kind of an attack on a cop, nothing. Went up to a cop. He was pushed back. And you even heard on the video this shocking thing of this man's head hitting the pavement because he was he was shoved by a police officer. They had the nerve to say that apparently he tripped, which obviously... Let me ask you, let me ask you this question, Sheldon. When he walked up to the police officer, what was happening around him? Was it in the middle of a protest? There were marchers there, but everything was peaceful. But, but it was in the middle of a protest. It was in the middle of a protest, but again... Okay, so this was a protest. This was a protest that was happening after three days of violent riots right across the United States, right? 
Yeah, yeah, because it okay. happened. So, I believe so, it happened. It happened on Friday, I believe. So the police were on edge. I uh, yeah. So the police, police the were, police were worried. Police were, on, police were worried about uh, their own safety because uh, in 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 a couple of cities across the United States, police were beaten. A couple of cops were stabbed. A couple of cops were well, shot. That's so, no excuse for that either. I, I didn't say there was an excuse. I'm saying I'm saying so. Police were on the edge, right? Yeah. So when this gentleman approached, did he look like I, I haven't seen the video? Honestly, nope. I, I didn't see nope. the video. Did it look like nope. he had was any kind of threat towards the police officers? Absolutely not. And the man was seventy five years old. I don't care how old he was, because a seventy five well, year old man with a knife could could hurt you the same way a twenty year old with a knife. Yeah, could hurt but you. he was not brandishing any weapon. His hands were open. There was no. He did not raise his fists. He did not take out anything from his pockets. He had both hands visible. And he was talking to a police officer. I don't know what was said. I mean, that I don't know. Yeah, and right. it, you didn't hear it on the video what was said. All of a sudden, you see him being, he, he was shoved. He came back because obviously he lost his bounce, didn't expect it either. Fell and hit the back of his head. His ears started bleeding. Blood was coming out of his ear. Instead of the police right away getting an ambulance, they walked past him. And then one of the policemen had the nerve to go up to a person that was filming it. And that was more important that they shouldn't film what happened. Instead of them calling the ambulance, the police, they told one of the people that were taking a, taking a video of it, not interfering with the police at all. They were on the sidelines taking the video of what happened. And the police had the nerve to tell them to shut off the video. Now, now, you, now, the, now, now you have to wonder. Here. You have to wonder for a second, Sheldon. Now I'm not. I'm, not, I'm only playing devil's advocate here because uh, I don't know what happened. Right? I don't know the situation. I don't know if the police had a run in with this guy before. I don't know. I don't know anything about the situation. He did not have a criminal record. Apparently, no, no. He I'm, did I'm a saying a lot of good. I'm saying even at this rally, I don't know if the even at this protest. I'm not. I don't know if they had a run-in with him before. I don't know. I don't know what the situation well, there was. Right. I could only go by um, what I saw in the video. And, but, okay. and you know, videos were altered. And videos were edited to for an audience. Uh, you know that as well as I do. I mean, you worked in radio long enough to know that you could take a sound clip and make it say anything you wanted to say, depending yep. on the context you you, you de- de- depending on the, depending on the context you build around it. Right. All right, but let's so, say it this way: Was the knee in the back of George Floyd's uh, head? Was that a doctored video? No. There you go. But but that that video may 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 have been totally different from this video that you're talking about. So I haven't seen the video. I have to take a look at it. Uh, okay. I, I reserve judgment on that until I see it. Now here's another thing too. Fifty-seven police officers in the emergency detachment and the Buffalo Police Department resigned on mass today. Okay. Okay. Fifty-seven because they did not like what happened. Hi. Now, let's say for example, the uh, the the video was was unaltered at all and does these, okay. these cops, you, and these and cops again, are committing I, I, brutality and they should be arrested exactly so the thing is 57 are are going to resign so you know what resign and good for them good for them to resign no not now, good for them now, to resign no they should be standing up and demanding change in their department well resigning well, is a cowardly is, thing to do well, well that's the pro that's the thing you just said it because if if they if they if they really had a belief, if they really thought that this thing was wrong, they should have demanded, they should have demanded change. And the thing is, they were cowards and they resigned. That's why I said, good for them. Yeah, uh, sh- you know. So that's what I'm saying. Because obviously they didn't have the, the they didn't have the you know the, the wherewithal yeah. to, to be or or the courage to be able to stand up. Because the problem is 
that police, the police brotherhood is so powerful that if you go against your own kind, you go against your own police force, you could be in big, 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 big trouble. But you know what? Okay? Sometimes you have to. You have to. I Sometimes know. Sometimes you got to put yourself out to save other people. You have to. So the thing is, these other three people, uh, other than Derek Chauvin, they had to be charged without, 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 a, without any question at all because none of them, none of the other three police, the police people that were on hand and witnessed Derek Chauvin's knee in the back of George Floyd's head, didn't do a damn thing. The only thing I heard from one of the police. Uh, one of the policemen, and it was an audible in one of the videos, saying, "What? Uh, why don't you turn them over? Yeah. I don't know if they mentioned CPR. I forget. I don't remember. But it was something. Was That was the only thing. And that was what one of the lawyers were arguing in court. Big deal. Because you know what? Why didn't they physically try to, to tell Derek Chauvin, like, to get him off? To get him off? To get his knee off? Why of didn't they push why him off? Why didn't they do that? Why didn't they push him why off? Why didn't him? they... Yeah, why didn't they push him off? So you say, you know, they say talk is cheap. So if if he would have tried to do some kind of restraint and showed some kind of thing, yeah, okay, then I could say, yeah, you know what? This police officer found it, uh, found that it was not the right thing that Derek Chauvin did, and tried to do and tried to take some action, and it was shown in the video. Was anything shown in the video other than the knee in the back of the head, and other than what I just said, what one of the police officers said? No. The man was murdered by the time he went into the ambulance and they said that maybe one of the police officers performed CPR. The man was passed out for uh, three to four minutes after the fact he was unconscious and then he was still on the back of the head. He was already robbed of oxygen because after you rob get robbed of oxygen, your brain starts going. Your heart tries to beat to compensate to try to have the blood flow. It did. It, the heart was in distress. That's why he had a heart attack. Yeah. It was a, it was a chain reaction of something that should not have happened. If you want to take the man in custody, if he did something wrong, you put him in, you put him in restraints. If you have to use re force, it has to be reasonable. All of this problem is due to poor training on the police forces. Because you can't train, you have to train police forces in terms of, What's the acceptable amount of force to use? And there's nothing marked even in the Minneapolis book saying that you're, a lot, that you're supposed to put a knee in the back of a neck to rob well, a any, person from oxygen. In any, in any police training manual, they don't like okay. to do that. Yeah, so It's not a tactic I, so I, taught by the police. So I invite people to say, you know what? You tell me where that's written. And if that's written somewhere, that has to be changed to switch right away. I agree. Okay, and that's, I don't often agree with that, you, Sheldon, but I do agree this time. Well, good. Glad to see that. Glad to see. Glad to see that. And the thing is, there there have been cases that there have been peaceful demonstrations, and all of a sudden, police were all of us. You know, I'm, I'm not talking curfew, because a state, the president, the governor is allowed to institute a curfew if it's a question of safety or if it's a question of anything else. I get it, but bear this in mind. A lot of the demonstrations during the day, away from the curfew, because curfew is usually around 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. So forgetting about the curfew and forget about, like, during the rest of the day where there's no curfew imposed and people are going out and having, again, a peaceful demonstration. And again, I do not applaud any looting 
any violence to the police or to property of any kind. That's not going to bring George Floyd back. That's not going to bring change. But the people that are protesting peacefully. My, my thing is, is when you're protesting peacefully, police have to respect the right for people to protest. And no matter if they're having a bad day, you don't take it out on somebody that's not brandishing a weapon, that's not a threat of a, to a particular police force or to a police person on duty. Let me ask you that's this, Sheldon. Part of the, that's part of the job. Let me ask you this, Sheldon. What is your opinion on uh, Black Lives Matter demanding that white people bow to black people and apologize for their whiteness and their white I privilege? don't agree with that at all. Why? Why? Because it's racist. That's why. Well, why should do you, do you feel why that white? Do you feel white people have white privilege? No, I think everybody should have privilege based on respect, not because you're because you're white or black or or whoever. It's respect as a universal thing. It's not because you're white, black, or whatever. I, I don't believe in white privilege. I don't believe in black privilege. I I I believe in what they call respect privilege. So people, people, people shouldn't right be. So, so you're saying people, people shouldn't be judged based on their skin color? Well, what do you think? I don't think people they should, should be, be judged, judged on their based skin. on their character. People should be based on their own merits. On on, on their merits. On, wow. You re, you respect like people respect me. I respect them. You know, respect also has to be earned, and respect has to be such that if people have different political points of view. You may not agree with them. Fine. I may not agree with them. Fine. But at least I respect the people who say it and, right. and should be allowed to say it. We live in a democratic society. We live in a democratic country. Hey, I, say a, lot of th- I say a lot of things on the show that people don't agree with. Okay. So, uh, but, that, but you have the right to say them. But I have the right to say them. And I open my lines and I say, call in. You don't agree with me. Feel That's free to right. call in. Well, that's the that's the that's the thing about talk radio. It has it has its version of a host to say a political opinion, and you can. We live in a country that you could agree or disagree, but yeah. that does not mean you know. I don't agree that you should be insulted. You know, if they, it, it's one thing to say I don't agree with you. This is it's called it's called respect, and even though you're you're not. It's not like you are, uh, you you're, you you want to, you know, increase violence, or you're saying things for people to become violent, just you know, on other things. I know the type of person you are. We've had a very long friendship. We have a tremendous friendship. You know, we're, we're in many cases we don't always agree, and many cases we do agree. But even if I don't agree with you, I respect your opinion. Exactly. Uh, and, I was, res- and, and I hope you respect my opinion. I, I wouldn't put you on the show if I didn't. Uh, so the thing is, so the thing is, even if we don't agree, we still respect one another. I was called a racist this week because I said that I don't believe in white privilege. I was told by millennials this week. I mean, I had a lot of conversation with millennials this week. I was told by uh, by a group of millennials this week that being anti-racist isn't enough. So Sheldon, what else is there? If I if I if I if I if I say that I'm not racist and I'm not going to judge people based on their skin color and I'm going to teach my children and try to teach everybody I know not to judge people by their skin color, uh, what else what else am I supposed to be doing, Sheldon, to fight racism? Uh, 
well, you you're when, when they much... tell me when they tell me that that's not enough. What else? What else am I supposed to be doing? Am I supposed to be groveling for forgiveness because uh, because there are people who who may who may resemble me who 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 are racist? Is that what I'm supposed to be? I, I'm I'm very confused as what they expect me to be doing. Well, I'm very confused too because I mean you 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 took you're taking a stand on public radio of. The, of people getting the respect, like you were saying uh, earlier, that you knew two 17-year-old uh, people yeah. in Israel that, that defaced and damaged a mosque. And then they, they, they threw a bomb inside, inside an Arabic store. Well, that's, that's where it leads to, by the way. And uh, that's, that's where that led to. But that's where racism leads to eventually. So, you know, it, it's the duty of uh politicians in in various countries and and the scope of education that should be worldwide open and for you know for the facts to be laid out as opposed to a political agenda or a biased agenda second politicians and you know third the third the parents and to be able to bring up people and to be able to say listen kids I'm this is what's right or, what's, or this is what's wrong. And I, as a parent, have, you know, want, want you to be moral and ethical. And when you come to a person, come across a person, you respect them, not because of their skin color, not because of their religion. You respect them for who they are. Sheldon, did you ever, ever talk with your kids when they were younger about, um, All the time. about racism? All the time. Yeah. What did you say to them when you were younger? And they were I, I, you know what? I, I it was this, it also the same thing as practically the golden rule to treat everyone as if you would want to be treated well by other people. Do unto others as they would have to do unto you. And the thing is, it's, you know, you can't just all of a sudden, I mean, I don't remember the exact words I said, but yeah. in terms of, you know, just because if a person is black, why should you hate them? If a person is white, why should you hate them? If a person does something wrong, violence to you and your family, that's a different story. But that doesn't go to skin color. That goes And that by... individual person doesn't represent an entire group of no. people. Exactly. It's and you can't put all your eggs in one basket. You can't do that because that is racism. It's like if if let's say a handful of Jewish people or a handful of Arabic people do something and it's really hateful. It's really disgusting and whatever the case is. Does that mean all Jews are like that? Of course not. Are all Arabics like that? Of course not. You take each person as it, as it happens and you judge the person not because of their skin color, not because of their, of their religion, but you, ju- you, you look in the person. Is the person nice to you? Is the person respectful of you? Does the person want to sit down and have coffee with you? And that does not necessarily mean you have to agree on everything politically or whatever. I mean, you and I have been friends for years, and, may, and maybe you and I don't share the same thing. Well, we could still sit down and have a coffee together. We could sit down, do a show together. We could sit, you know, could sit down and kibitz around together. You know, it, 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 so it's not, you don't have to always agree on every single thing because it's impossible. You, nobody's ever going to agree, even marriages. Husband and wife are not always going to agree on every single thing. It happens. But you know what? You respect one another. You respect the person because it's not just the views. You respect the person who's saying these views as long as it's respectful and does not inflict any kind of 
racism, uh, insult, violence of any kind to anybody. I, I and, to have, yeah. and to have the protesting of when people believe that what happened to George Floyd was absolutely unacceptable, and I said it before on the show, and I'll say it again, and obviously what happened to George Floyd, it was absolutely horrible. It was unacceptable. It was horrific. It was, it was horrific. The video said it all. The video, you know, as they say, one picture, one video speaks a thousand words. There you go. That could, that was not doctored. Putting a knee in the back of a person and a person dies. You can't doctor that. You can't edit that. Nope. You can't delete anything. That's what happened. Person's knee was on him. He was unconscious. He was passed out. The knee was still on him for another three to four minutes. Only until the ambulance got there. And even when the ambulance ambulance technician felt the person's pause the knee was still on the back of floyd's head only when the ambulance person was ready to take floyd from the ground to put him on the gurney on the stretcher to put him in then they told derek chauvin to lift the knee off so then they could take him and put it on put him onto the gurney to put him into the ambulance and if you another thing you noticed on that video is once they, he removed the knee on Floyd and they put him on the gurney, Derek Chauvin took him without any kind of respect to him that he was in an unconscious state. Who knows if he even died there? Right. Okay, we don't know that. No, we All don't we know, know is he was, yeah. he was unconscious. They take him and they threw his body like, like a piece of meat on the stretcher, on the gurney. Yeah. Take a look at that video near the end. No, of I saw what it. I saw Derek Chauvin did. With the ambulance te- technician that put him on on the stretcher, and then and then put it put it put it into the back of the. Now the next thing, Tao, the other police officer, the other bystanders that were taking the video. If you take a look at that video again, Tao tried to uh, tried to initiate, tried to shove one of the protesters, and the protesters say, "Don't you touch me, because I didn't touch you." And Tao didn't even say anything that that uh that he that, that that one of the bystanders initiated anything because he didn't he only thing that the bystanders said along with the other bystanders were saying take your knee off the back of his neck he can't breathe he can't move he's passed out his nose is bleeding he's passed out he's gone he's passed out what is he going to do he can't he's not going to resist when he's passed out plus he's handcuffed yeah so here's the situation. Uh, this was black and white. No, no pun intended here. Here's the video. This is what's showing everything. Okay. These four police officers are murderers because even if the other three didn't put the knee on, they might as well have because they didn't do anything to prevent Derek Chauvin. And especially after the guy was passed out, not that he should have put the knee on at all because he shouldn't have put the knee on at all. No, that's not standard police procedure. No, that's not the standard. And you, anyway. you are robbing a person from oxygen. Yeah, you're robbing them from their life. Forget the oxygen. You're yeah. stealing their life from them. Yeah. And like I said, I hope that the, uh, that the prosecutors, and I hope that the, uh, the justice system prosecutes these people to the maximum extent of the law. That's what they deserve. Well, you see, well, you see how fast they brought the charges up. They put they put. Oh, they had no choice. Third degree, third degree murder, and there was so much public pressure. So obviously there was a lot of... Uh, there was a there was a lot of pressure from the demonstrators that were doing it peacefully because they were putting a tremendous amount of pressure on the politicians, on the governor, on the mayor, 
and I, everything. And I, it was one of the fastest I'm that thinking, they ever. I'm thinking that uh, that they, they they made a very tactical. They made a tactical error right at the beginning. The Minnesota Police Department. The second that video came out, they should have arrested these three guys without charges. They should have arrested them and held them. Oh yeah. Uh, the second the video came out, it might have calmed down some of the outrage. Seeing the yes. police react so quickly, they waited two days before they arrested them. They shouldn't have waited the two days. They should have arrested them immediately. Fire them, arrest them immediately. Well, they. I, but the thing was, when they when they did arrest Chauvin, it was he didn't they didn't arrest him right away anyway. It took a couple of days. That's what so I'm that, saying. It took and too then long. the other. And then the other officers were not arrested after when Chauvin was arrested. Yeah, it took way arrested. too. It took way too long. Yeah, so that took way too long. But the but the district attorney said it was one of the fastest uh, fastest times that they that they charged uh, the police officers and Derek Chauvin right away. Now I now I believe I think they're going to go back on the 29th of June. I think they're scheduled to go back into the court in Minneapolis to see what's going to happen. But until the meantime, and I hope to God one thing. If they are forever, like, because there is a million-dollar bailout, I believe, for, I don't know if it's for all the police officers or three out of the four police officers. I, I did not get the clarification. If, if I were them, I would stay in prison. Yeah. So the thing I is, wouldn't they, even should think not of have, they should not even have put bail. They should have put them immediately into jail. Yeah. Uh, pending because, but even if I was all, the, even if I was the suspect, even if I was the guy who was arrested, I wouldn't want to be released into this situation. Oh, no, because, uh, well, already the police had to protect Chauvin's house because there was already uh, a protest in front of the house. Bear in mind, at that time, he had a family. He had a wife and kids. And his wife and kids wife, had nothing to do with what he did. No, the wife and kids had nothing to do with the, what he did. And as a matter of fact, I believe the wife divorced them. Okay, whatever, but uh, they had nothing yeah. to do with what he did. No, no. So and the thing is, again, you attacking his house is not, yeah, just, is not right. Yeah, just because one person was responsible for that, that's not mean the wife and 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 the, and and if he had any children, I don't don't remember if he did or did or didn't. Those the wife and or the kids are not responsible for what Derek Chauvin did. Plus, there was another thing. He's had a history of complaints against them, as the record as the as his record indicated. Plus, he and Floyd worked in the same club. I don't know if they had any bad. A bad blood or history. Well, that's why I'm saying, you know, everyone's saying that this was a racially motivated attack. And I'm thinking that, you know, it might have been something else. I don't know. We don't know. We don't have enough information to be able to say it was racially no. motivated. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm I love, not I love that people... racially motivated too, because I would have been equally upset if it was white or anybody else. Yeah, uh, I, I would have been equally upset that police brutality yeah. is police brutality. I don't care who it's against. Exactly. No, it's unacceptable. Yeah. But, yeah. but at the same time, at the same time, uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and uh, and I know everyone's yelling, uh, you know, that it was racially motivated. But at the same time, these two have a history together. I don't know what the situation there was. No, and that's that's the thing. But uh, but the thing is, even if they did have any kind of history, and this was at totally all, wrong anyway. I mean, it's murder. Yeah. Murder is murder. Yeah, a cop is supposed to be a police person is supposed to be a professional. Yeah, so murder is murder. And so I, I don't I yeah. don't care what the history was. But, but it's, what I'm saying is that, you know, to be yelling racial, 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 and not knowing yeah. for sure that it was racial, because I didn't hear any racial slurs or anything at all on the no. video. No, so, not, so, uh, I, I didn't either. Um, and the thing was, uh, and the thing was, here's another story. Even if you have, that's why when you have a certain political or professional associations, maybe broadcasting, maybe police or fire, whatever, any political convictions you have, are left at the door or left at your house or left within your family. There's no place for it to belong to police. 
media, firefighters, ambulance. You do your job, you do what you're paid to do, and that's what you do. You do not because of a person is white, black, whatever. If you, or if a person's conservative, if a person left wing, right wing, whatever. If a person is injured or if a person has done a wrong crime, a wrongful crime, and he's already in handcuffs, you take him into custody. If you would have put you him in the, the back of the decide. car, yeah. If you yeah. would have put, if would have put Floyd in the back of the car, and read him his rights and whatever the case is, he would still be alive today, today, Shelton. He and would still be alive thing, today. They didn't even read uh, Floyd his rights. I, I don't know what happened before the video started, so I have no idea if they did or didn't. I don't know. No, but the thing was, they cuffed him. Yeah. Even when they took him out of the car. He was not read his unless unless there was a part of the video where you didn't like again, once again maybe we once again videos videos could be edited videos could be altered I don't know okay fine I'll even I'll even give him uh, I'll even give that but the thing is whether or not he's black white Hispanic Jewish Arabic whatever if a person has done the crime and he or she is in restraints you put them in the back seat of the car. Uh, and 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 that's it. And you take him or her to the police station, get it processed. You go by the book. You keep your political affiliations. You keep your racial. You 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 keep everything in check. But and once you again, Sheldon, your you're, you're assuming that this was a racial attack. I'm saying if uh, it is, uh, you know, I, I'm saying it hasn't de- it, it hasn't been definitively proven that this was a racial attack. That's not that's not what I'm saying, Howie. I'm yeah. saying regardless, even if it's a political view, if it's a racist view. If, in fact, you worked at the same club as him or her, whatever, all I'm saying is you do, you do your job, you put him or her in the backseat of the car, take him, him or her to the police station, get him or her processed, and go by the book. Yeah, That's what you're supposed, that's what the police, that's when you signed up to be a police person, that's what you signed up and doing. If you can't do that type of a job, don't be a police officer. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two to get in on the conversation. You can talk to me and Sheldon. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. You have something to say about this? We want to hear what you have to say. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. I agree with you, Sheldon, and uh, I don't normally agree with you. Once again, this is uh, it's very unusual. I've been agreeing with a lot of my uh, a lot of my people that I don't normally agree with all week uh, because I mean we can't disagree on this topic. It's impossible to have an alternate. Uh, it's impossible to be a good person and have an alternate point of view on this topic. Police brutality is police brutality. It's condemnable. Murder is murder. It's condemnable. Uh, I don't know how innocent or not innocent the guy was. It doesn't matter. He should never have been murdered. There's a process to go through for justice. And if, if he was committing a crime or there was some kind of crime that was found, then he should have been put into the system and the court should have taken care of it. No cop has the right to be judge, jury, and executioner. Period. Even some police chiefs have, uh, uh, really went on, really went on, and and they said this is wrong, this is absolutely yeah. wrong. Here was an and here was another uh, video that was released today in Texas. There was a pool party of blacks and whites, uh, blacks and white people in a predominantly white area. Uh, some of these black people lived in that area, so it wasn't a, a poor area, not by any stretch, or it was not to be deemed a poor area. Just because la- black, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Just because blacks live in an area doesn't make it a poor area, Sheldon. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's, that's I'm what you saying, were saying. No, I'm that's saying. Not right. Okay, because uh, 
I, I said I, I don't want our listeners. I don't want our listeners to misunderstand what you're saying. So please be okay. extremely clear what you're saying, because right. otherwise they're going to come back and they're going to start complaining that you know that we're being racist on the show, and no. we're really not being racist on the show. No, this is. I, I hold is. individuals accountable for their actions. Period. I don't care what this color is, they are. This is what was seen on the video. Uh, a group of blacks and black and whites were having a pool party. Now, the thing was, everything was going very, very well. The kids were roughly about 15, 16, 17 years of age, teenagers. And all of a sudden, there, uh, uh, and you would see on the video, too, you'd have to look at this video, and I believe it resurfaced today, maybe yesterday. It was very, very recent. And the thing was, it was, uh, it, there were two, uh, there was uh, a bunch of white people instigating a fight with black people. The police were called in. Now, instead of the police doing a proper investigation of questioning everybody, and again, this is what I saw in the video, so I can only see what I saw in the video. If the video's been doctored in any way, there's no way for any one of us to know it except for the people who, if they did doctor the video, then so be it. I don't know. All I'm saying is what I've seen. All I'm saying is what I heard. So there was teenage people. They were the, um, consisting of whites and black people. They had a pool party. Everything was going fine. All of a sudden, something, cops were called in. And all of a sudden, you saw on the video, the people that were on the ground that were ordered to be on the ground were all blacks. Not whites. They were all blacks. Again, I'm going to reiterate, I do not know if this video has been doctored. I don't know. I can't say for sure because I was not there. You were not there, Howie. No, I wasn't. But, no. Okay. So the thing was, there were some white people that were, that were watching that were upset that some of the black, that the black people were on the ground or were, had to sit or were, had to put their face in the grass or they had to sit on the lawn. And there was one police officer that was going to town on the black people, according to what this video was saying. The white people that were, that were there, not one of them were being questioned. Not one of them were sitting on the ground. All the people that were sitting on the ground were black people. There was one black person that was walking, uh, that, was, that was walking, that was looking around and wondering, what the heck is going on? It's a good question. What the heck was going on? Yeah, so then, and, and she's looking around Look, going... Look, I'm, like, I'm not saying that racism doesn't exist, Sheldon. We know it exists. No, and We know it exists you know in what? the police force. We know it exists uh, in various elements of the society. What we have to do is we have to root out the racists, and we have to fix it. And, and that's, exactly. that's, that's where it comes down to. We have to and root now, out the racists. With the advantage of now cell phones, and now everybody has a cell phone and now shooting videos, and now videos are coming right, left, and center on every, on every single thing. And again... Uh, what what is the percentage of videos being doctored? Maybe yes, maybe no. Who knows? Yeah, we don't know. It's anybody's guess. Who knows? And you know, videos are framed in certain ways to uh, to make situations look differently than they actually were. I mean, yeah. selective uh, selective recording, selective editing. I mean, there's all sorts yeah. of stuff that happens with videos. But the situ but the situation with George Floyd was very apparent. Yeah, that was clear, and, uh, and nobody's just nobody's even disputing that that that's what happened. No. And the thing is that now with people using cell phones and people being witness to a lot of things, that people are right there on the scene as it happened. So it wasn't a question of hearsay. Because could you imagine, Howie? Let's, yeah. let's think about this. If there was nobody, if there were no cell phones at the time 
And this is what happened with George Floyd. Nobody would have known anything. Yeah. Maybe there, maybe there might have been a witness off the street, but again, where's the evidence? Could the, could the witness hated the, the police officer? Did the witness have history with the police officer? Or the police officer could have said, oh, maybe he, was, maybe he choked himself to death. Like nothing would have been seen and nothing would have been proven because there was no video e uh, evidence. There was no audio evidence of anything. It was just one person's word against the other. But now with everybody having cell phones and being, you know, it was in downtown area of Minneapolis, Minnesota. So it wasn't like in, in the Rechus somewhere, in, like in farmland and God knows where. Yeah. This was in the middle of a major city in the early part of the evening. And people were around and there were at least three to four bystanders. At least a few of them shot that video. And a few of them shot the video of what happened to Floyd before you saw that infamous video. Right. And when he was sitting on a bench, questioning by police officers, there was video taken of that too. So the thing was now, because of the people having cell phones, it's now immediate and it's very hard now. And like you said, the, the evidence is so overwhelming that I don't know what a, a public defender or a lawyer of any of these cops can refute the situation. Because they can't say that Floyd acted, uh, swung at a police officer because you actually saw him, he didn't. him putting, taking he him didn't. out of the car yeah. and putting the handcuffs on him. Yeah. So we didn't just see them uh, all of a sudden he was handcuffed. You saw him being taken out of the car and you then saw him being handcuffed and then you saw him going. So he didn't put up any resistance. So you saw him going to the bench and they was put in handcuffs. He did not resist. He did not. I don't know what he said to the officers, but even if he said anything to the officers, he didn't physically resist. He didn't pose any kind of a threat. No, no, no. And even if he had that criminal record, he didn't pose a threat. He didn't wave his hands. He didn't uh, show a way that uh, police officers were, were fearful for their safety or fearful for the public at large. So he was taken on the bench. Then he was taken across the street where the police car cars were. Fine. Okay. Then the next thing you know, he's on the ground. Again, he's handcuffed because he couldn't get out of the handcuffs. He's on the ground with Derek, with Derek Chauvin's knee on the back of his neck. Yeah. So everything was absolutely without, you know, as they say, you have to, you have to, when you're going to the court of law, the, uh, what you, what the prosecution has to do is they have to convict beyond a reasonable doubt. There is no question. This is beyond a reasonable doubt. Everything points that this is exactly what happened. The autopsy, everything is conclusive. That that the 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 evidence is overwhelming. All right, so Sheldon, let me ask you this. We'll we'll move a little bit off topic a little bit. Let me ask you this: thousands of people out in the streets protesting this in the middle of a pandemic. Do you think we're going to start seeing spikes of COVID nineteen um, throughout these American cities? Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I see a lot of them are wear a lot of people who are wearing um, are wearing masks. Mm -hmm. But uh, social, you know, social distancing, physical distancing is not happening at these uh, riots and these uh, these protests. No. So, do you think uh, we're going to see a rise in the numbers of COVID nineteen cases and perhaps uh, a rise in the illnesses in American cities across across the states? That's a distinct possibility because also let's uh, you know it was also. The protests also hit cities that were really impacted by COVID-19 before all of this happened, such as New York and L.A. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, to say so, I, I don't know about Minneapolis, but I know New York and LA were definitely definite hotspots in the states in terms of COVID, the amount of COVID nineteen cases. Uh, yes, I would I would say that the majority of the people, I would say about sixty five to seventy percent, were wearing masks. But again, social distancing, and it's all about hygiene, and it's all all it's about everything. I mean, it's. Um, you know, it, it, it's very scary because, yes, this, this definitely goes into COVID-19 for sure. There was a demonstration today in Montreal. There was demonstrations in Toronto. Uh, again, also a, a fair amount of people were wearing masks. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised, Howie, to see a, a spike. How much? I don't know. But this could also put things backwards. But I guess when people want to protest, um, people have a tendency of forgetting but then at the same time could you imagine if nobody protested then then the then uh, the, uh, the police may not have been let's say uh charged look i'm, um, I'm all in favor of protesting of the, because, because i think this was a lot to do with public pressure I, i'm all in favor of protesting i've i've been a protester my whole life I, i'm mm-hmm. all in favor of protesting you're never going to hear me complain when people get out and and stand up for what they believe in that's uh, that's something I, I've always encouraged and something I've always uh, I've always liked when people get up and do st- and do it right. And these protests were done right, except for the radical element that went and uh, and rioted and and broke things. That was a minority. The majority of people were out there because yeah. they were upset and they were protesting and trying to yeah. trying to make a difference. And exactly. that that those kind of people, those people who were there to make a difference, who weren't there to steal and who weren't there to hurt other people, but were there to try to make a difference. Those kind of people I respect. I respect that kind of uh, that kind of protest. And but, those people have spoken because it made the it made the uh, the go- the uh, the governor of Minnesota, it made it made the mayor, it made the district attorney, it made them you know really get the pressure on them was enormous to get these officers charged and then to get the Derek Chauvin charged from third degree murder now to second degree murder, which if convicted can carry a forty year term in the slammer as well as the uh police other three police officers they can also get up to 40 years in jail if they are convicted that's a that's a very long time for a for a 26 year old here's another for thing a could you imagine could, could you imagine if they go and in, go into jail they're going to have to be in solitary confinement because if the, if the prisoners find this out you know what's going to happen yeah well, they they won't last very long in jail. These guys, if they go they to jail, won't. they won't last yeah. long. Oh yeah, they won't. They'll either commit suicide or they're going to get killed. One of the two. Right, or they'll commit suicide. Uh, yeah, jail suicide, which means that uh, that they were they were suicide. They were suicided. Yeah, that happens uh, I mean, a lot I mean, too. That's what that's what I could see see happen. But you know what? It's. Uh, I mean, my heart goes out to uh, look. Even George Floyd's family was saying, "Look." Please demonstrate respectfully. Don't do violence. They were they were urging calm. The the Floyd family was urging calm. As angry as they were of what happened, they they uh, appreciated the overwhelming support and love by the protesters that were doing it legitimately and respectfully. Than the ones that were looting and causing damage and torching police cars and torching well, businesses. Well, well, think about it. If, if it was your loved ones, would you, what would you want the legacy to be? That people came out to protest his death. He was murdered. They came out to protest his death. Um, 
peacefully, or would you want your legacy to be uh, they broke into Macy's? We'll no, exa- I mean exactly. I would want them to. I would want uh, like his name to be in terms of peaceful protest. That if this is going to turn take change and and make people change, it, it it has to be with peaceful protest, not with violent protest. Violence never solved anything. And again, it always goes to the same thing as two wrongs don't make I will, a right. It, I, I will, it, I will, I will go out on a limb here, Sheldon, and I will say that um, there is a time and place for violence in protest. There is a time and place for it. And sometimes it's effective. In this case here, violence undermines the, uh, undermines the message you're trying to convey. If you're anti-violence, you're anti-brutality, and, and you, want, you, want to, you want to live in a peaceful world, you should not be committing violence to try to enforce that. Well, that goes without question. I mean, that's, that's what it is. I, I just urge anybody that, that's in the sound of our voices, if you are going to protest, please do it respectfully. Get your message across, but at the same time, to please te- uh, temper yourself by not destroying property, by not stabbing police people, by not stabbing other other people by not stab by not stabbing your fellow man or woman. You have to do it properly. You have to do it respectfully. There are laws saying that you can demonstrate, but you have to do it in a peaceful manner. We li- we're supposed to live in a peaceful society, not a society created of violence. This is not what uh, Floyd would want or anybody that's ever uh, uh, died on the hands of uh, brutality at all. This is not what the family or the people that have passed away would want. So I urge each and every one of you that decide to do a protest, to do it in a respectful, peaceful way. Get your word out. You know, get you know. They say there's strength in numbers. There's strength in numbers, yes, but not strength in violence. And there's a difference. I I, I say amen to that, Sheldon. Amen to that. Yeah. All right, that's it. We're, we're just about out of time. Sheldon Freed. Howie Silberger. Thank you so much for uh, being here. Always a pleasure. I, I, I want to thank everybody who didn't call in tonight. I appreciate the, uh, the, <laughs> the people who didn't call in. Uh, I appreciate everybody who listened. I really do. Uh, I will be back on Tuesday night right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Uh, and then, um, of course, on Tuesday at midnight going into Wednesday, we have Political Hitman on Israel News Talk Radio. Sheldon, have you ever caught Political Hitman on Israel News Talk Radio? No, I'm usually fast asleep by then. Ah, you should catch you should catch the replay. It's always it's always being replayed, and I, I post it up on my on my. You, you'd find the show is a lot different than this show. Okay. So, okay. so so listening to that show would be a lot different than listening to this show. I mean, it's my voice. I hope it's your voice, especially if it's you that's doing it. But but most of <laughs> but most of the time, I'm a lot angrier on that show than I am on this show. I can't imagine. Really? Yep. 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 Okay, and are you wearing the sunglasses when you're doing that show? Oh, no? I, I really should. You should. I think I, you, I really, you know, really should. Yeah, you're you're the you know you're the Jewish blues brothers. So well, well you know, I, I I I could sit back and sing that Brian Adams song about sunglasses and uh, and just kind of wear them because it's at night, right? That's Corey Hart. Oh, is that Corey Hart? Yes. I don't know Canadian music. I have no idea. Yeah, that's Corey Hart, and I uh, went to school with him and his brother. So I'll t- I'll take your word for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's around your age, so uh, you would know better uh, than I would. Uh, uh, yeah, you're. Uh, here we go with the age. Uh, well, it's true. Back. Corey Hart's your age. Yeah, Corey. Was he Corey in your class? Hart, was he no, in your class? Corey Hart. He's yeah. He's younger than his brother is my age, and he was in the same grade. Yeah. As we went to St. George's uh, High School. Right. Uh, Corey was a grade uh, one or two grades below me. Okay, so he's a couple of years younger than you. 
Yeah. But his yep. brother was yep. in your grade. He's around your age. Uh, his, his brother, Robbie Hart, yes. who's not a singer, I believe he's in the film industry. Uh, and uh, he, he was my, he's prox, approximately my age and he was in, he was in my grade at, uh, St. George's high school. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Amazing. So it's a small world. Yeah. I went to school with the Molsons and the Brothmans back then. Yes. Oh, you know, well, whatever works for you, man. Whatever works yeah, well, for you. Yeah. It was a good school. Great memories, uh, great memories and everything like that. And that's when I started my radio career. I uh, got involved in the high school radio and I said, this is what I wanted to do. And sure enough, this is what I wound up doing. Amazing. All right, <laughs> yeah. Sheldon, that's it. We're out of time. Thank you so much. I want to thank everybody for listening. I will see you again. Uh, we'll see you again next week. Well, I'll see Sheldon, we'll see you again next week. I'll see you on Tuesday. Until okay. then, have a great one.